0: Hi everyone, it's Nina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. This episode is very special to me because this is the live episode that I recorded in Chicago last week. I just want to thank everyone who was able to attend the event. I hope that you found great value. The event had four panelists, Will McNeil, Giovanni Perez, Jane Hamner, and Vanzaya Zeal. And they gave so much great advice during this panel. Some of the topics we cover are how to bring your value proposition for a job. We describe why mentorship is so crucial for your career development. We discuss expanding your network And last but never least, we discuss why diversity and inclusion is still a buzzword. I want to thank everyone for listening to this podcast for the past two years. It means a lot to me to have your support. And I just want you to know this podcast is created for you. So please, if you have any suggestions or you are looking for some new information, reach out. You can find me on Black Tech Unplugged on Instagram, Facebook, or send an email to blacktechunplugged at gmail.com. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, make sure to rate and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Now let's get it. All right, everyone, get started. I just want to give the audience a little bit more of an overview
1: of what you guys do. I would start with you. What is Gorgeous Within and why did you create it? Gorgeous Within started off as something I saw in ministry and those s- situations a lot of women were dealing with, but at the same time, I was like, how can we bridge that in tech? Even women in Africa had the same issues as the women in America. First world problems are the same world, same thing in third world, especially when you talk about emotions and like life. And so Bojistan has pivoted so many times, right? And mm-hmm. so what it is now today is I'm endearing to build an app that will connect um, psychologists and um, practitioners of therapy with the people who need them anywhere in the world. that was That is my goal. I also am a speaker and I do do events and that's how we've met in the past. So that's what Gorgeous Within does. My full-time thing is I'm a project leader. I don't write code anymore. I do director strategy and currently my client is Aon. So I work at the Aon building and I lead 60 people in uh, 16 countries. So that's what I do full-time. But um, so yeah, so that's what Gorgeous Within does right now.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And Giovanni, you are working as an application developer and dabbling in some UX?
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) So tell my audience how you got into tech and then how you got into this hybrid role that you're in now.
2: Yeah. um, So I graduated from DePaul. I went to school for business, um, but I moved to Austin, Texas four years ago. um, And I started working for the advisory board company. They do uh, healthcare analytics. Uh, And then from there, I just kept on getting a little more technical and more technical. Uh, I moved back to Chicago, studied a little bit of uh, development, and landed a gig with uh, Highland Solutions, uh, where I do out-systems development. Um, I used to be an RA for three years, and I was very involved um, in my time at DePaul. Um, And so with the contract that we currently have and with some of the uh, a little more soft-skill-based experience that I had, um, I got pulled into the the UX um, engagement that we have right now.
0: Awesome, and you did a boot camp of some sort too. right? Yes,
2: I uh, I went to uh, General Assembly, um, and you know that's that's what got me into tech. Um, I also um, this is kind of a short, funny story, right? But um, when when I was in that company in Austin, um, my manager went around uh, the office, and she just looked at every person who was uh, of color. And she picked everybody and brought them into our like uh, POC group at um at the advisory board, and I got left out because I'm a little more on the on the lighter side. Um, and so four years ago, I you know went you know to the group and to the meetings and kind of did a lot of diversity and inclusion work. So I think that's part of also the reason why I'm up here. Yeah, a
0: little bit. <laughs> did a little, little bit of work. And you'll know that Giovanni, none of his stories are going to be short tonight. But that's okay. That's why we love yeah. you. Short story, longer. <laughs>
1: I'm going to come back real quick because I totally forgot that I was okay. in Wisdom in 1871 yes. for like a couple of months and I met a bunch of people who helped me become a better pitcher and like mm. understand how to what do investors really want, right? right. It's a passion project, but what do you need to get in your deck to get the money that you're looking for? So that was pivotal. I did that about a year and a half ago. So
0: Well, don't tell too much because we're going to get to that too.
1: Oh, Okay, you're right. <laughs> you're
0: right. Next. All right, Jane, so Jane, you start ARIA Mentors, mm-hmm. and then also you work at Harvey Nash, so tell my audience what exactly you do at Harvey Nash, and then also how you start your organization. Sure,
3: I'd love to. So I am the Vice President of National Enterprise Sales for Harvey Nash. We're a global IT recruitment organization based out of the UK. Um, my role is to work um, on a national basis in with enterprise-level organizations um, in helping um, you know, secure the different services that we provide, either um, uh, full-time recruitment or we also have an offshore solution out of Vietnam. Um, I have been in this industry for longer than I want to admit, because then everybody can figure out how old I really am, um, but it, it's coming on to, to you know, high 20s, um, but I actually entered into the industry and have always been in IT recruitment. Um, but it was by mistake. So I wanted to get into pharmaceutical sales really badly. Um, And at that time it just was, they were not hiring entry level people. And so the company that I joined with, um, uh, I entered as a new recruiter and ended up staying there for 16 years. I ran sales for North America for them. And um, now I've been with Harvey Nash for over 13. So it's amazing um, industry because of the relationship base and because of where technology has gone. But I tell you what, you know, where it was how many, 28 years ago to what we're doing today. It's amazing, and the, the cycle of technology. Um, but about six years ago, um, myself, uh, Leslie Vickery, and Megan McCann, we all started an organization called ARA. It stands for Attract, Retain, and Advance Women in IT. And the reason why we started is because we saw a gap that um, we saw the value that mentorship brings into um uh, individuals and to what our own careers brought um, and we saw a gap in the industry and so we wanted to see how we could provide um, education and um, and thought leadership to organizations while helping women attract into IT stay there because they were falling off at a very fast rate um, and how we can provide information and um, training to be able to get into the higher levels and to get more um, women at the director and C level. Um, so we uh, provide thought leadership as well as events, not only in Chicago, but across um, five other markets as well. Awesome. And Will, Hi. Black Tech Jobs.
4: <laughs> so um, I always start by saying we're a for profit entity. Um, we connect employers to Black Tech talent at scale. So we're kind of a combination of the Black. Um, Dice.com, um, and on our digital side, but we recognize that only 25% of people who will find jobs this year are active job seekers. And we are also a retained search firm, so we help companies find individuals to solve <coughs> problems for them. Um, I started our company, I was on the board of Black Tech Mecca in the early days, and um, we were doing a lot of research and gathering data on the history of diversity in technology, or the absence of blacks in tech. And as, I, as time had gone by, we were in the same place that we had been five, six, seven years before. So that had been almost a zero movement. I heard one CEO quoted as saying, if I paid my organization to stand still and do nothing about this problem, um, I couldn't have gotten them to do it. And so I knew that there were lots of great organizations around the country, really globally in the UK as well, but the needle hadn't been moved, and someone else had to do something different. So to answer your other question, how I got to tech, um, it ties into this. My background is in telecommunications, financial services, and lots of different things. I've been a sales leader most of my professional life and managing very large organizations. Um, and I felt that it was someone who had kind of a unique background that was going to be able to help uh, pin the needle and the network of talented folks around me that make this possible. So I got into tech through sales. So, um, and my tech superpower is digital advertising. I've got an handful of certifications that I won't bore you
0: so one thing I want to start with is getting into tech and jobs. So, Will, obviously, you have experience with that. But from one thing that's a common factor is no one really started off saying, I want
1: to be in tech. Is there a reason why that happened? I, I kind of did. I wrote, I went to school for computer science. That was my undergrad. Uh, actually, let me take that back. I was raised in Africa, so you had, like, four choices of a career, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're not putting you on a plane to come be a, artists so right. doctors scientists and computer science kind of put me like not 12 years in school not so that's how I landed in computer science and my dad was uh he was uh, he had his PhD in actuarial science so he did models for insurance companies so I kind of figured I'm okay with math I'll succeed so that's how I ended up in tech um writing code myself yeah.
0: But do you feel like as being, as a person of color, it's harder to actually get a job at tech at this time?
1: To this day and age? This day and age. I don't, so I had a very different path. So okay. I think that the jobs are there. You just need to bring your value proposition to the organization. And I think mentorship is crucial. You need mm-hmm. to have people around you to show you what to present to the company and then be able to get into that door, right? Um, so I think that the jobs are there, but sometimes as people of color, we don't have the tools. There's a certain language that's spoken. It's a culture. And um, if you want to get to that level, you need to be willing to take correction. Um, I had a lot of mentors pull me off and say, that's not PC. <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> you can't do that. Um, And then at some point you find you level out and bring yourself to work. But in the beginning you need training, you need coaching. Everybody was coached with someone. Behind these boardrooms, don't don't get twisted. Nothing happens in there. People just argue. You know, it's like it's normal people trying to move strategy for big, massive organizations. But for them to get there, somebody pulled them along. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think if somebody's willing to get help and willing to sit down and say, "Hey, I want to do this, but I have no idea. Can you?" Um, I think you can get the help you need.
0: Will, do you see that from your perspective? You're matching certain people who want jobs in tech and the companies to those people. Do you see that the same as Benzai?
4: So yes and no, because I see it at scale. So what I see is the path to finding a job opportunity looks different for different people. Mm -hmm. And the most successful job seekers um, have a network (laughs) that allows them to get connected to opportunities. Um, the challenge today is many uh, many tech people of color don't have a network. Many of us are first generation college graduates or second generation, so we don't have family family and friend networks. So um, you know Memorial Day weekend just passed. There was someone who got a new job simply by showing up at the right barbecue. Um, and if you don't have those types of relationships, that will not happen for you. And so when I think about the recruiters that I talk to, and I have lots of friends who are recruiters, corporate recruiters, and headhunters, um, and, uh, and, and the people they know are the people that they hire. And so if you don't have someone vouching for you on the inside, even if you're the most talented person, there's 200 resumes submitted, yours is the best. You have to bet that yours is going to have all the right keywords, it's going to bring you to the top of the ATS system. Which is very unlikely because a recruiter has lots of things to do in addition to interview and schedule interviews. And then, if he or she is then faced with the proposition of someone who works for the company, who's already vetted, who's very successful, well respected, hands him a resume and says, Hey, can you interview this guy? That guy's going to get an interview unless there's something really wrong with that resume. And if you never get the interview because I've got it as a recruiter, I've got a time thing that I'm fighting. And I, can, I got a guy ready to go right now, I can schedule him, or I can sift through 100 resumes today. It's an easy choice. And so if you're one of those 100, even if you're the best, you may not get a call. Because after this job requisition is filled, they have to go to the next one. And just the way that recruiting works in its, in its simple, tactical ways is a big hindrance to us moving forward. So I think that's a part of it. So the best thing that I, advice I would give to folks is expand your network. Expand your network of people that don't look like you. Uh-huh. Expand your network of people who don't do what you do because you don't have to be in tech to be referred by someone in tech. And so, and so, and, and Also, as we look at the data, the majority of people who work for tech firms who look like us are traditional techies. We, we describe them as tech adjacent. So marketing, product, strategy, innovation, uh, sales, like myself. But those folks may be crushing it in their job, very well respected, and, um, and I'll talk about it later while there's some interference with even getting referred as well. Yeah.
0: Well, actually, let's touch on it now about being referred and how that can increase your chances of getting hired.
4: So I'll, I'm going to answer that in two, in two ways. First part is, um, when I, there, I was just talking to someone, when I, when I talk to or I see on Twitter when someone has that, uh, my boss asked me to refer someone, and um, you should. And there's this thing called, and I, and not to offend anyone, it's called the only only Negro concept. And there are some people who feel that they can be the only one. And there's folks now. I, mean, I got to light in my eyes. There's some people who are smiling because they recognize this as a uh, non-urban legend, but a part, but a truth. And, but because of that, people are comfortable with messing up their thing or their job by making a referral, and so. That referral is a critical part of our success. So, what I tell people is to first stop and know that whoever's going to be hired is going to be interviewed, evaluated, and judged on their own merit. And so, what you're doing is providing access. Someone said that talent is distributed equally, opportunity is not. And so, where we have the opportunity to grant access, um, regardless of waiting for someone else to do it, for there to be some grand governmental plan. That in the small spaces, that we create those opportunities to introduce each other. And if we're not in those spaces where today we represent, especially with the large tech companies, about 2% of the population or less, and that 2% is rounding up. In those places where it's greater than 2%, the talent pool also includes the janitorial services folks, the folks in the kitchen, and that's the way a lot of companies, tech companies, have been able to grow their diversity numbers is by reverse contracting the way that they handle that. So instead of outsourcing it, bringing it in-house, and now they have this group of diverse employees. So there's lots of things that are happening around us, but I think we, one, have to take advantage of every opportunity that we have to support and help each other. Um, and two, to play offense in our networking activities. You know, I think LinkedIn, who I would argue is a competitor to me, but they're also a, a, um, a great resource, a great tool. Um, that you leverage that more and then when you're at events like this you know and even in tech we're not as social as those of us who are in sales in tech mm-hmm. um, that um, we make conversations we find a way to meet each other ask what we're doing uh, and see if there's a way to help and so in our networking events and you were there uh, one of the things that I recommend that we do is the way that we network is not to ask what I can get from you but what can, can I, I give you the how can I help you yes. and if you do that you know if you make it a point I challenge everyone to make it your mission every week to help one person the multiplicity effect of that over time changes the landscape of where I think tech you know, Blacks and tech finance
0: And we're going to get to networking very soon because Will over here is the king of networking mm-hmm. and had a challenge recently, so we'll talk about that soon. But Jane, I wanted to get your opinion also with recruiting. Do you see any, any type of changes that we can make when it comes to recruiting or any types of improvements?
3: So I think, you know, as, as we're all... In this landscape right now, you see the, the fast pace of where technology is going, so it's a great time to be in it and know that. So I, I think everybody needs to understand that, have the confidence in that this is not going away and it's only um, going to bring more and more opportunity um, to be able to leverage that. So. Um, I echo Will's um, comments around um, having a network. It's very, very strong. It's very important. Um, LinkedIn is a very important tool, but it's also putting yourself out there. I think too many times people don't want to put themselves out there or go and ask um, other people they know um, Mm -hmm. to make an introduction or to connect them with somebody they know on LinkedIn or if they know someone. So I think um, the more you do ask, because um, if you don't ask, you won't get yes, is really kind of, you have to think about it. So and the more we put ourselves out there and the more we know what we want, so if there's a list of companies, if there's a list of jobs, if there's there's very specific targets that you've got um, on your job search, um, find people that can help you. If, it's, if you don't have the network, um, then make sure to then connect into people that you think that might, or others you know that, are connected to people that can because people are always willing to help. So all you have to do is ask. And if you do, that could be the one door that you need to be opened.
0: And Jane, because recruiting is kind of your area of expertise, are there some tips or advice that you could give people in regards to making sure that they get their foot in the
3: door, at least for that first phone screen? Um, yeah, so I think you've got to um, have a value proposition. Um, and have a brand. So your individual brand is very important um, and your value proposition to what you bring to the table. So whether that's your education, your background, your experience, um, be very clear about um, whether your previous job, the value that you have been able to, to bring to the table and what you can to um, this a new job. So I think it's all about, um, you really have to, to sell yourself. So we're salespeople. You know, in every way. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you have a sales title, you're selling yourself, you're sell- you have to come out and really bring out um, the key indicators or the key value proposition of your background and what you can bring to the table for that specific role.
0: And a lot of and you all have been mentioning value proposition and showing what value you bring, but what how do you do that? A lot of people there's there's introverts, there's extroverts, there's do different ways that you can check
1: that you want to he hasn't spoken yet. Sure. I'll, I'll talk, but I'll let
2: him. Um, with with my experience, it's been a, uh, a little different because you do have the sales and you have to like sell yourself and, and, and make sure that uh, company understands uh, the, your brand and, and, and that. Um, I uh, did a, a development program, and so part of it, for, for my experience, was uh, seeing that people look like me in the industry. Um, my younger brother got me into tech, and so I wasn't able to... Know that I wanted to do tech until I saw that um, from him. Um, And then the other part is, you know, after you notice that there's those folks in the industry, um, to actually do that and to kind of get rid of the imposter syndrome, right? So I I came into development uh, from uh, an industry that wasn't as, um, well, analytics has a little bit of a hard scope, but not as, um, in my role, it wasn't as in depth as as development. And so I came from it. with the plan of attack of, okay, like, build something. Other people could do it. That doesn't mean that you can't do it because you, you know, they've been in the industry longer. Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, it's it's been about building um, before selling just because you need to know, that's the bad proposition in the business. You do something versus I could talk about it doing something.
1: Right. Um, hmm. But yeah. Let's not mm-hmm. even get started next. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think, like, let me see, let me, I've, I'm a DI personality, I'm very direct, and sometimes I just like say what I gotta say, no sugarcoating, so let me think about this a little bit. No, so, what you like when you don't sugarcoat <laughs> it? <laughs> that's that mentorship that's helped. Um, so I think for me, I think value proposition kinda comes in different quadrants, and um, like life's a pyramid, right? As you get towards your apex, as, you're, as you live out your, the better ages of your life, I think you get pretty clear on what you want to do and what you can and can't do. Nobody's an expert at at everything. Mm -hmm. So you need to start understanding what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses. And like I said, I'm a DI, so for a long time, I didn't see that as a strength, but until one of my mentors and managers came to me and said, you write code, but you speak to C-suite executives really well, your presentations are pretty well put together, and you understand code, you understand websites, you understand building apps, you can write C++ and PHP. Why don't you go into management? That's how management came for me. But I think why it came for me is I did the job I was given so well, I could then translate it for other people. So sometimes before you go ask for an opportunity, understand what do I do well? What can I do? I can command a room. I can change the direction of a conversation. That's a value add. That's considered a soft skill. But I can also talk to my designer in um, in India, New Delhi offshore, who's telling me he's having a hard time with code, go into his computer and look at the code with him and say, Hey, change this. You missed the comma. This is what needs to be changed. Run that. Compile this again. What does the code say? So what is the value add, you know? And that comes from, you know, practice, you know, get really, really good at what you do. It's a 10,000 hour theory, right? At five years full time doing the same things, 40 hours a week, you're considered an expert. Become an expert at something. You know, I find some of these young people coming into the market talk a good game, but when I ask them to do the simplest thing, like go do this sort of PowerPoint for me, you have (laughs) Microsoft word on your resume, but you don't even know how to open it, so I don't understand, there's a disconnect there. You know, and so you gotta get really honest with yourself and then go around people and have them critique you, right? Be open, you know, and have people correct you, and I think, I keep hammering that home because as a young person coming up in my career, I was very staunch. I didn't want correction. I was like, Oh, well, I know what I'm doing. I got it together. You don't. You just came out of school. Be real. You know, I went to Wisdom and I already had my master's. I went into another program to get sharpened up, to get all the certificates. He has a bunch of certificates. Like, you need to work on yourself harder <laughs> than you work on selling yourself, is my point. I think selling yourself is good. But the reason why probably most people aren't confident is maybe they don't have the skill set nailed down yet. So that's step one. Understand what you bring to the table, what you're good at, and what you're bad at. When I interview people, I say, if you come on my team, what things can I expect from you negatively? Like, what are your weaknesses? The people who tell me they have no weaknesses, I never hire again. I never bring them back into the room because it's impossible for someone to be perfect. Perfection is a, is a dream. It doesn't exist, right? Right. Um, <laughs> So that's what I mean by value proposition, getting to those things. And I think volunteering and putting myself out there in different organizations, such as you did, you joined something after work. Like, it takes an extra step to stand out. If you're wondering why people aren't seeing you shining, what else are you going and giving? You know, that's that ministry coming out. But going <laughs> and putting yourself out there. And so how I stand out is I built a whole consulting agency and when people come to me, they know and have my referrals of things I've done besides at work, right? Besides on LinkedIn, I've, I built a website with my own money, got the photo shoot, shot the video, did all that stuff. Almost 4,000, 5,000 bucks. I put it up and I did this four years ago. Game changer. On SEO and SEM, you find Live Bold Consulting. Something totally different, but big companies like Aeon come calling. It took a while when they realized they needed women like me in the room. So now they have us in the room. What Now my struggle is how do I bring more people in the room? And I want to bring talented, confident people in the room, right? Um, so another thing, do I give a referral to everybody? Unfortunately, I don't. I got to see you work with me. Let's do a volunteer project. Let's go. I don't even care if it's like charity. Let's go like clean toilets. Let's do something. You know what I mean? It's like I need to see your work ethic. Can you show up on time? Let's start there. You know, and so if people are uncomfortable with you in those practical settings Why would I bring you to meet the CEO of Aon and refer you to, you know, you got to think in those, you know, you know, be faithful with the little if you want to do much. And I think there's a generation of people who just think they can come from school and sit in the C-suite. That's not how it works.
0: Right. And one thing that you and Jane are have mentioned are outside organizations. And Will and Giovanni, I wanna know if you guys also support outside organizations that are helpful for your network and your growth. Go ahead, Giovanni. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And what are those organizations?
2: <laughs> so, I'm trying to think. I, uh, I've been coming from a place of transition with, with the career switch and the location switch, so I haven't actually set down my roots into being with the community and networking, I probably need to do that a little more. Um, I think that my approach after hours has been networking with people that I see as, as partners, so like similar organizations that do what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't touched uh, you know the, the volunteering aspect or, or the, the mission driven or the nonprofits mm-hmm. uh, just because of, of where I'm currently at. Um, but I definitely do think that um, you know involvement is, is, is necessary. Um, I do uh, a little <coughs> bit of that with with my current role at the company that I'm with, um, and you know, seeing as what I could bring outside of the scope of tech in in my uh, company. So um, although I do support uh, and I have, I guess, uh, a number of of causes that I'm uh, passionate about. Um, currently, I don't have an active role in that. Uh, I am in the process of. Hashing out this uh, like an open source project for diversity and inclusion, um, so that we're not reinventing the wheel, um, and you know it's it's not much yet, but I think that you know it's it's about giving people tools.
0: And we'll get to that in you a know. little bit with the diversity inclusion conversation. Will on your networking end. So You're I, a power networker, but didn't you have a networking challenge last month of like meeting 100 people or uh, something of that so nature? So, actually, it's
4: every month. So, I require um, I that I, I meet uh, at least 150 new people a month. Um, and so, you know, we were joking this morning, my better have some in the audience, uh, that uh, I think I'm up to like 120 people I've met so far. I mean, we got to the 15th. So I do a lot of stuff with LinkedIn. I'm involved with in a lot of volunteer work. Um, I'm a longtime member of 100 Black Men in Chicago. Um, I've been a part of that organization for a long time, both on the strategic side and the day-to-day execution of mentoring young people. Um, I've been involved with Spark, um, 100 Million, 1 million Degrees. Uh, my history in volunteer goes back to homeless shelters, abandoned women shelters. Cancers, American Cancer Society so I've always found a way to connect with communities and um, and try to help people who um, may not have champions themselves or create opportunities and bring um, access to those those causes so wherever I've worked I've always forced my team to do volunteer work um, and the word force sometimes comes with it but I've discovered that many people get their first volunteer event in their place of business and so yeah. uh, and then it creates an opportunity for a lifetime of service outside of their work
0: So as a power networker, I want you to tell the audience, give them three tips that they can do so they can meet people, maybe 100 people a month, maybe a little less, but...
4: Yeah, I mean, a hundred I mean, people I, just I, seems like I a lot that to start me. Small, for real, for I think you start small. Part of it, it's easier when you already have a pretty large network. So let me mm-hmm. let me not it, recommend anyone dive that deep. <laughs> uh, but I think being social. Um, where's where's Bree? There she is. So we met. Uh, when did we meet, Bree? Yesterday. Yes. And so at a networking event, and so I invited her to to come out. Super sharply and um, so we had a great conversation about technology, and she's wanting to broaden her network, and here she is. And so it's a great example of um, extend invitations to people. So my networking isn't to see what I could get from, from you, but to see, again, how could I be of assistance and share something interesting. Um, one of my mentors um, here in the city, just boss, um, CEO, Amanda Lanner, for those of you who know, she's CEO of Jellyvision. And, one of her themes is always be um, before you can be interesting, you have to be interested. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think it just starts with your interest in people, which mm-hmm. makes it easy to invest in them. Mm-hmm. And then I find that if you need a favor later, it's like super easy to ask. Yeah. So and not from a from the from the perspective of they owe me um, that that they can appreciate my investment in them and they actually value my requests back. Right? So, And I think it's important if you are a historic giver that you also learn to ask. So that's something that I struggled with, always being the person who was making a way. Mm-hmm. And then this year actually made a commitment. I think we talked, I talked a little bit about it when we, were, when we met uh, mm-hmm. uh, last month was um, learning to ask and also being a student. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you never stop learning. So I think uh, the three things that I do is, one, just introduce yourself. My opening line in all environments is, hi, I'm Will." So anyone who met me today, that's kind of how I greeted you. And it's usually disarming, and people will usually just follow up with their name. And I just ask, what, you, what, what brought you out? And in a very non-threatening way, now not everyone's comfortable with that, and I, I don't expect to work 1,000% a, a of the time, but most times people will just say. And then it creates an opportunity to find a common bond, and then I go from there. And then I just ask, like the same way we did in our events, you know, what are you working on and how can I help? Mm-hmm. And so that's my path to every interaction with anyone I ever meet. It's just who they are, what they do, what are they working on, and how can I be of an assistance. And I find that people are, are sometimes weirded out, what do you, what do you mean? I'll You're going to help
1: me? Help. I need you Right, right.
4: <laughs> and so then you remove the barrier from them to have to ask for help. And yeah. I think when do that. I think about Doc. I met Doc, it's been almost a year now, and his, his son Watch out for him. He's the next black Mark Zuckerberg. This kid is ridiculous. So I've, already got, I've actually already got his college side. I not uh, applied at IIT. I told his dad that today. Um, and um, so I think when you think about people and you walk in the spirit of caring, that um, networking gets easy. And I think it's hard in a world where we're often guarded. Our, our best social skills happen on social media. Mm-hmm. And then when we meet people face-to-face, it's a little different. It's kind of like that person that blows up on email and then meeting; they'll have a different perspective. <laughs> it's all <and> things. quiet. <laughs> and so um, I think, if, I think if, you, if you lead with help, that networking gets easier. And then um, when you need help, it gets easier to receive help.
0: Jane, Giovanni, do you guys have any networking tips that you want to share with the audience?
3: You know, I think um, it—the the fact it, for everybody in the audience is that you're here. That's the first step: is mm-hmm. to participate. And so, the more you do that, the easier it gets, um, and the more connected you are, you do get to meeting people. Like Will said, you know, it's you know, in some cases it can be a numbers game. Um, so, and it's just connecting with the right organizations that you feel you can provide that can provide value to you. Um, and you know I think it's it is important to give as well as to get. So um, you know and the other piece is, is I would I would um, advise everybody to to find somebody to mentor. You know Everybody says out there that you want a mentor, but there's so many people out there that need mentors too, and it's an amazing experience. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be in tech. It doesn't have to be in your specific area. But if there's somebody out there that you see that you can mentor that you can help, um, it it really is a, is it, it spreads the wealth, right? So um, sponsors, mentors, coaches, um, I have them all, and have had many for years, and that's how I have really kind of laid out my personal, my my parental and my professional life. I have twins. I had so many mentors that had twins, too, because I had to figure out how to do this. Um, and it was not easy, <laughs> but paved the way for me for a much easier that somebody had gone through it before. So just, as, you know, in so many different ways, can you help people and, and to become a mentor? So I'm a big advocate of it. So if, if you can reach out to help and then it'll come back to you in, you know, in, in full and I want you to kind of break down, so you mentioned
0: mentor, sponsorship, yeah. break down what those oh, terms mean right. for people who don't. Yeah.
3: Sure. yeah. So a mentor is somebody that can help you and guide you through specific goals that you set um, in helping you, um, from whether it's in finding a job, getting a promotion in a job, um, and really more day-to-day. A sponsor is somebody within an organization that you know can is sitting in a room without you and that can say, well, yep, I know him, I've worked with him, he's really good, I support it." Um, a coach is somebody that can be there, that can give you advice in a meeting, in um, a, a, perspe- a specific situation, but your mentor is really your go-to on a regular basis. Your coach and your sponsor are important because they can be your subject matter experts. Or One is going to back you without you being there, and the other one is going to give you advice how to handle specific situations within either an organization or within your, your situation that you're dealing with. It could be personal. It could be
0: professional. So, I want to pose a question to the audience let's raise our hands. How many people have mentors right now? Okay, okay. what about sponsors?
1: okay coach okay. okay that's a good that's a good number. yeah, and I just wanted to like piggyback on what you said about mentorship um, I personally I vet my mentors, and I have a saying that I don't trust people who don't bleed right like Anybody who cannot be authentic with me and show me, you know, it takes time, but the truth is we all had someone help us, right? You know, and it's not an unattainable goal and you need to learn not to be afraid to fail. I need to know my mentors have made some mistakes and that I don't feel stupid, right? Like the comfortable level needs to be there. But if I have somebody who's personifies perfection, I'd rather not, um, work with them or, um, you know, have them mentor me because I know my own flaws, and I'm like, I'm trying to get better. I don't need someone judging me along the way. So, yes, ask for mentors, but do the due diligence and the step of accepting that relationship, and that could be in any part of your life. You
0: know? So, was there a certain situation that made you kind of oh, yeah. get into? Do you
3: want to tell that story?
1: There's several. I mean, ultimately, you know, I think that when you're young. You see people and you want to personify them, right? And as time goes on, you start to see the flaws. And if I can't talk with you saying, well, why did you do this? And why didn't you do this? And like, and I'm very analytical and my name is Banzai, which means ask a lot of questions. I'm nosy. I like to know things. And you're over here, you know, shrouding secrets from me and you're not helping me. It doesn't go well. It doesn't bode well with me, my personality. And you got to know yourself. And you said something about introverts. Mm-hmm. Um Seventy percent of the world's CEOs are introverts. Mm-hmm. So, if a man, if an introvert can lead a national organization, in being an introvert is not a, a valid reason not to be out there, right? Mm-hmm. Most of the most powerful corporations are led by introverts in this world. You know, I, you know, um, Amazon. You know, these people are not typically social people, but how do they end up in those roles you got to think about that right so if you're one of those people who is more conser- conservative start figuring out how you can get out there
2: um that's a really good point um a lot of things have been said that are really really awesome um but before the this point escapes uh me um i've changed my networking game recently um, i feel like i uh i used to be a lot more extroverted um, and my, I got rid of social media the um, entire thing um, and I see myself in a networking space to be a connector so I want to make sure that I, I'm i not necessarily networking for myself like I'm pairing people up hey Dina have you met Will like, let's make that happen mm-hmm. um, and when I I don't know if it's this winding down from social media but when I network <laughs> for myself um, I'm not looking to do anything at a micro scale I want to make sure that I um, I'm also like not judging. I'm not like targeting these people, and I only want to meet these specific people. But I think that there is value in in putting the right type of friction with the type, right type of relationship. So like if if I'm looking for a mentor, like I want to make sure that I'm meeting the right person to be my mentor. And so like I um, yeah, I definitely become a connector in you know in the environment. But for myself, I'd rather um, network at a small scale for myself.
0: So, two things I want to touch on before we switch topics. China, China, yep. Go ahead. I'll let so,
4: you go first. So, just, just a couple of things on, on, uh, on, on mentorship. So, uh, I, I think it's important to share the story, so mentoring, um, the hundreds theme is mentoring over a lifetime. And so, I have a member of my board of directors who, let's say 20 years ago, was my intern. And over his lifespan, he's bought and sold several companies in the valley. And so he now mentors me. Um, and, and not always in the tone that I like, but um, yeah. he told me there's just things I need to do. Yeah. I have to step back and remember he's not that 22 year old, 21 year old kid anymore, that there are lots of things that he's learned on his journey that I don't know. And so, um, and he's been super helpful. So I think when mentoring works well is when the student becomes the teacher.
3: Yes. And that sometimes
4: takes time and then um, the connection piece. I think your point was 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 spot on, and and I didn't talk about it. it was, but it isn't when I talk about not just getting what I can get from you, but just making those connections. And that sometimes is a superpower. Mm-hmm. And the more people you're helping, the more people are then able to help you, or just are aware of you and what you were the problems that you solve.
0: So. Well, one thing that Giovanni you mentioned targeted. Um, networking. And I do think there is targeted networking because there could be someone that you keep trying to meet or when you go to an event, you know, you want to meet certain people. So I do think targeted networking is something that can be done doing it all the time. No, because then you only have this little targeted niche or group. But I do think it can be done in certain situations. And everyone has mentioned meeting a mentor and having one how do you meet one so a lot of people because you know like younger kids think you just go up to someone and say will you be my mentor and you're like no that's not how it goes and you got to put in some work you have to build in that relationship so I want you guys to think of when you first met one of your mentors that come to mind and how
1: did you approach that relationship and keep it going well for me it was through correction I guess my Mm -hmm. the the person who guided my career was um, at Allstate at the time Dwight, and he, he runs uh, Discover Financial Services now. He's a, one of the CMOs that chief marketing offices. And he pulled me aside and gave me a lot of correction, and it was hard to take at the time. And I kept going back to him, and then we scheduled every two weeks. He kept checking out on me Did you do what I said? You let me see the report. Like, did you fix this? Mm-hmm. You know, what's your presentation? You know. And so that's when the first time I really got the feel of mentorship, and it was uncomfortable. It didn't feel good at first. Um, And then as time went on and I began to see I'm getting better, you know, I'm getting into less trouble. I'm not being pulled into these meetings anymore. Like, I'm not, you know, he taught me, the biggest thing he taught me is, I used to be very rigid. I'll be like, he'd be like, be like water, Vanza. You need to learn. I mean, you're going to quote me Bruce Lee right now. I know Bruce Lee is... You know, you need to be like water, because I used to be so rigid, and I think it went back to my upbringing, because I was went to military boarding school in Africa, my parents were scientists, and so, you know, to me, it was always black and white, and so I needed to learn to be agile. It was a lifetime experience, and, you know, God had, had his way, too, of, like, making me learn different things, and so, but at some point, I started to accept it, and I think when I started to accept the correction is when my mentorship began. And then other mentors came along. And, in fact, I turned back and I was like, oh, I always had mentors, but I never listened to them. <laughs> I never showed up. I never took the correction. And so um, I think for me that's how it began. Currently I have about four mentors, two sponsors, and, like, <coughs> coaches un- unlimited. Pick, a- pick an area, fitness coach, this coach, this coach. I got to coach everywhere because now I see the value. Of having those people in my life and you know when they call me and they ask me honestly what's going on and you talk to them
2: Giovanni yeah um so the way that I look for mentors um so if I got Elon Musk to be my mentor right (laughs) that would be awesome if anything for an interesting (laughs) (laughs) experience and I wonder how many people want Elon Musk to be their mentor. And I think about uh, when I'm in a room. Again, like my game is not to talk to everybody and you know, kind of like play the outfield in a networking room. And, and and that's how I meet my mentors. Like I try to make a little more meaningful connections with with people. And then from there, I could get either plugged in or like meet someone that is wow, really interesting. I didn't know anything about that or about you. Um, and then kind of like take it from there and hopefully build a relationship so that then I, I could ask for mentorship. Um, but I usually, again, with a targeted uh, thing, right, like you you want to meet the right people, but at the same time, like how many people are meeting the right people? And like, I, I don't know if, if, you know, Jane could talk about that, but like as a recruiter, I bet you get all sorts of questions and everybody's special and everybody's got their, you know, they're the most important thing in, the, in their world. And so for, for a person like Jane, who has like all these um, people wanting to get mentored and to get the plug and to get the the job um, screener—it's—it's um, it's a little, at least, it hasn't been as successful for me. So I've gotten the, the more personal, the more small um, way about asking for mentorship and getting to the right person. Um, so that's what I think of of my approach to to meeting people and to specifically for the question to meeting mentors. It's you might find something unexpected from from another source than like the main event.
4: Gotcha.
3: Jane, you know, I, over my career, I've had um, I've had many mentors. A lot of them started out to be my my bosses. Yeah. Um, and that um, who again gave me the you know the constructive criticism, if that's the way, but you know, kind of pulled me by the scruff of my neck and shook me around a little bit and put me right back on the right path. But yeah. um, as I have continued to grow, I then um, have assumed mentors through, I've had a number of clients that are mentors that I have built relationships with, and through those relationships and through understanding and building that relationship with them, they have unofficially become my mentors, right? Right. In my mind, they are. I don't think they know. They it. didn't know it yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I have, you know, officially said, "Hey, I really like what we've talked about. Can we continue on and, you know, and have something a little bit more formal?" But um, I think it's okay to have an unofficial mentor and to, you know, somebody you respect that you like that you value that you understand. Build a relationship, and in that relationship. Kind of continue to work through that, and then eventually be able to get there from a mentorship. But it doesn't have to be that right out the door, you know. Mm-hmm. Some people think, "Oh, God, you have to be my mentor, and it has to be this way." And I think it's really more about understanding who that person is in the relationship, and if there is that connection, to then continue on to build off into a mentorship. And it
1: doesn't have to be in your at your job either.
3: No, you know, it's
1: the most powerful connections that have got me in the room are totally unrelated, <laughs> like. Then they mentioned me, so-and-so mentioned your name at some party. I was like, oh, really? Yeah, we can take a meeting. Let's talk about it. So just be, I think start with the relationship. They might come from anywhere, you know, mm-hmm. and then you never know where that door will open.
0: I think it's important to note that they don't have to be at your job no. and they don't have to be in your industry
1: either. Right. And they don't have to be, well, I would also say it's male and female. Mm. There's definitely things you need to learn and know your boundaries. Right. But most of my mentors have been men. You know, so I'd have no problem, mentor man or woman. And it could be, you know, you, you have to get over your own biases um, and then go from there.
4: So um, I've had lots of mentors, and I've actually, this year, I've made a conscious decision to flip my mentor-mentoring relationship. And so I now am, I, I, I found two mentors this year, um, both of them near half my age, and so on purpose. And so they actually think that I'm their mentor, and I have to remind them, even though I might pick the bill up, that they're my mentor. So um, I, I have a personal area of weakness, uh, and that is across social media. I, I meet so many real humans, so why do I want to talk to the digital ones? Um, that um, I recognize the world has changed, and being present in social media is critical to business success. And so since my game is what I would describe as whack, um, one of my mentors, has built a business, he's a serial entrepreneur, he just turned 30 and, and I'm not 60. And, he, uh, <laughs> and he, uh, he built this huge, huge following of 120,000 people on, on just one tier of social media. And He has um, just done this amazing database and this data marketing. And so uh, I spend time with him and he's my social media and data coach.
0: Awesome. And so thank you for all that tips and advice on mentorship. And I do want to shift to our last topic of the evening. Everyone's favorite topic, diversity in tech. Mm -hmm. So I guess I want to start with a show of hands. How many people still think it's just a buzzword or just something that people are saying right now? Okay. So I do want to start with the panel. I want you to define what diversity in tech even is. What are we even aiming to succeed with diversity in tech? I,
1: that's tough. I'll, let, I'll be last this time,
0: remember. Anyone can jump in first. Yeah, first. You can that go
1: first. Love.
0: I know this is Giovanni's like bread and butter. He's really passionate about it. Go first. Um, so
2: I raised my hand when I said that uh, it's a buzzword, and um, it's not because I think that there's no value in diversity and inclusion, but um, but quite the opposite. I think that there's value, and it's coming uh, to the mainstream. Right, people. It is a buzzword because it's just getting people to come, uh, you know, either... I'm sorry. Popcorn mentality, I got to think. One thought at a time. So it's a buzzword in the sense that companies want to pitch diversity and inclusion to attract attract talent, right? And Mm -hmm. so it's getting buzzy in the sense that, like, you don't really... You know the the weight of it is not necessarily what you would think when you talk about diversity and inclusion, um, and so you know it, it raises a lot of questions as to what is important in diversity and inclusion, and um, and, and how do you carry on um, work after you know it's it's I, I feel like it's losing value. So um, how do you keep it new? I guess is is what I want to lead on. I just forgot like seventeen things I wanted to say, but um, but yeah, I think that that it's it's really important. Is just we're at a time where people caught on and we need to kind of like keep iterating and improving and like um, not talking to our own echo chamber, right? So, um,
1: I would say that I've seen a shift. Like, I was talking with Jane mm-hmm. and I talked with you a little bit about it. Um, I was like, Man, Jane, I wish you were around when I got out of school. When I came out of undergrad, I was 1996, I think, I'm aging myself here, and I was like, I coded for about a year and a half, kind of stumbled around. Was like the only woman on a team, and like it was rough. And um, I think I've seen a shift, but at the same time, fast forward how many ever years, I'm sitting at Aon now, and me and my VP, she is Japanese, a Japanese woman. She's out of Singapore. Then this is me. Then there's two other African-American men, one in London, and then that's it. So on my team of 60 people, then I'm like the only black woman working in the creative services department at Aon, which is dumbfounding to me. But at the same time, they did send some stuff to offshore. They do have people in Dublin writing code. They don't look like me, right? And so... You think about how far has the needle moved. It's a pretty tough conversation to have. Um, I have a friend, her name's Amanda, she builds apps. And you've seen in the media when companies release things that are socially uh, insensitive um, Mm -hmm. to African American or people of color. How do those things get to the main market? How many people sit in a room? I've sat in a creative briefing with 50 people going around looking at slides and stuff. How do these things pass through? They still don't have the right people in the room, in my opinion, in big corporations. Um, and so I did consulting for a while and I found that still to be the case. And so I don't have the solution, but I do feel like last week I was literally in a meeting and somebody said, well, we need to put DNI somewhere on this organizational shop, because we need to put DNI somewhere because they need to go there. A VP literally said that, meaning we need to just include this picture for diversity inclusion because you know, it's one of the tiers on the organizational chart. Let's just pop it on there. Don't know if that's, you know, appropriate. I did have a conversation with the man after. He did apologize. And he's like, well, you know, it's a pretty tough program to run. I don't know what the solution is. He admitted that. And so, but would it have changed was in of room? I don't know. You know, so I don't have an answer, but I do believe it's still a buzzword.
3: Um, So I, I will agree with you. I think you know, when we started ARA uh, six years ago, six and a half years ago, um, there was a, a huge need for just um, really to keep women in IT because um, you know, there's a lot of times there would be the only woman in the room and there would be uncomfortable conversations. You know, we talked about the diversity of thought. Um, and so we were seeing women you know, just really vacate IT at such a, a fast pace. Um, not only not get promoted in. They don't need glass we got to yeah. get them in, get them to stay there, and to be promoted into the higher levels to get executive leadership at you know more females sitting at the table. Um, I do see um, I do see a difference in in the six years. There's visibility. There's talk. There's many more. We we just did a, um, an event around the ecosystem in Chicago. Um, around diversity, um, not only women but Black women, but, and and really focused around the support group that we all have. And I'll tell you that the the companies that um, organizations that we're connected with now um, than we were in six years ago. There's you know there's dozens and dozens of them, which I'm thrilled to see. It's mean, similar things to you know what you're doing and and the visibility that comes along with it. I still think there needs to be a continued focus organizations now have diversity and inclusion organizations. They have um, people at the executive level that are you know, the diversity and inclusion um, executives. Um, and I think you see that more and more now, how that's trickling down and if that's infiltrating into certain groups within larger enterprise level organizations, some it is and some it's not. So um, there's a long way to go. I mean, if you look right now, percentages, we do a women in IT survey every year and you know, executive level women are still under 30%. Um, so that's, that's not great, right? So um, we're continuing to get that number up. It's not going down, but it's not growing fast enough. Yeah. Um, so as we I are think that's continuing a good point. to spread the word, um, we're not decreasing, but we just need to have more and more. And I think, you know, I think at, um, at all levels, we need to start building it so much earlier, specifically tech. I have seven-year-old twin girls and I have them in engineering programs right now. So if it's if we're starting at high school, it's too late. Yeah. girls already know. You you know it's or even you know at high school you already know whether you like math or not. I mean it's really coming into you know middle school and before high school that you really think. And right now my girls are like ah. Oh, this Engineering class is so fun. I love engineering, and that's what I want them to think. It, they may not be doing engineering, but they don't have a preconceived conception that's oh, it's so hard. hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they're coming into it like, oh, yeah, I can do that. I like it, it's really fun. Right. So, to get them there and to continue on to build them. So, all the programs that we've you know are focusing on in the, the um, early middle school to, to really promote and advocate.
4: Yeah, I, I I have some strong fact-based uh, opinions on this topic. Um, a few things. One, uh, I think there there are four enemies to diversity, um, and I and I think the uh, so you start I'll say bias, but I don't think that's the strongest point. I think second is is time. So doing diversity takes time. Um, third is money, and then fourth, the one I think has the biggest influence on diversity is. Um, I'm trying, I'm losing my train of thought. Is uh, indifference. And so, not that people are anti-diversity, they just, just doesn't register. So if it doesn't register, the investment of time and money and resources aren't going to be there. Diversity will not happen by itself. Um, The other challenge is the way that diversity leaders, so chief diversity officers, heads of diversity, various titles, the way they're equipped, the budgets they have, the fact that they are influencers, not decision makers, and they can't make hiring and firing decisions. So in the absence of that, um, I I, I don't see that there's going to be a massive move. I meet lots of chief diversity officers. I read diversity reports every day. And I see exactly where companies are, large companies. And job growth in America is going to continue to come from smaller firms, meaning firms that have less than 1,000 employees at a rate far faster than companies that have greater than 5,000 employees. And where people are a lot more likely to get their first job and their first opportunities are likely to be with smaller firms. So, and in those firms, they struggle with diversity even more, and they have even fewer resources to apply to diversity. Uh, The other thing is the math on diversity today. Um, um, For those who don't know, that the mathematical majority of Americans are women. Is everyone about? There's only three states in the country. That have more men than women and they're Western states where they do fracking. So don't fear. <laughs> you got 47 out of 50. That's pretty darn good. And so I don't give tech credit for driving diversity with women. I think it's inertia and population growth. It's the pure presence of women and the number of them who are graduating from college and have been graduating from college for the last 10, 15, 20 years. So it's it's happening, it was going to happen, and it will continue to happen. And if I also go another step back, if I think about the profile of the average recruiter, not necessarily tech recruiter, but just recruiter, she uh, is, is a white female in her 30s. And so I also expect that women will see continued growth there. And so when I look at the data, I think there are great things ahead for women. I think the women's movement has never been stronger. Uh, not since the days of burning braziers in the street have I seen this. I've actually been old enough to actually recognize the news clips from that. But what happens, though, in diversity today is we're all champions of our own causes, and there's little cross-pollination for championship. And so if I am um, um, a part of one community, and very often I'm actually a part of two, but I usually choose one, and that one that I choose is the one that I choose for my own reasons, everyone has their own reasons, Uh, or the most likelihood will I find success to my path forward. And for blacks in tech, that usually doesn't mean us. And so we're a super, a micro, micro minority in technology as it relates to parity with American population. We're 13.5% of American population. We're less than 2% of technology, in tech roles specifically. And then even outside of tech roles, rounding up, we may get close to 4% in the largest firms. And there's lots of reporting out there. You can Google it. You can see by company and then reporting. Uh, but I do want to highlight a firm that published um, uh, diversity report, 2017, at and It was the first diversity report that I read where I actually saw that population parity was at um, of their employee base was at or above the American population. It's the first time I saw a company that had 20% of their employees that were black. They still don't do well with women, but I think it primarily has to do with so much blue-collar work, people climbing up on poles and doing those things. And not that women can't do that, but I think that industry leans more male. Um, and the same thing, too, with um, Hispanics and... Uh, women in leadership roles. So I was blown away by that, but there was one other key data point that I was really surprised by, that 60% of their applicants were people of color. Six zero. One of the largest companies in the country. And so when I looked, this is 2017, so when I looked at the 2018 report, um, it no longer shared that data. And I was disappointed at that. And so when companies are trying to identify the pipeline problem, which is something my firm is attempting to address, is... I think we ha- we would have to ask for more transparency in their diversity reporting on the applicant pool. And I think they- if we understand the applicant pool, because if you fill out an application online somewhere, they ask you to self-identify, I recommend you do that, because uh, there's no advantage to not doing it, because if you once you meet someone... You're, you know yeah, where they are. <laughs> yeah, there's no shocker, right? Now, I, I, fool, I used to fool people all the time. My name's Will McNeil. I live in Beverly, so I am the most Irish dude you're ever going to meet. Until you meet me. Right? And so um, I, I think that that's critical to help companies understand. And I think in order for them to get beyond the we can't find them argument, then we pull the cover off of that. If we share that data, the same thing is true, I think, for women and all ethnic minorities and all gender identification groups. And so I, I think that's an easy fix. The data is there, not uh, sharing any public, or excuse me, any private information on an individual, but broadly looking at the world and then helping them make better decisions. I don't know that they're ready to do that yet because I think publicly sharing that data will tell a story that not many people want told.
0: Right, and so obviously with the whole diversity and inclusion with that initiative, it's going to take baby steps to get where we need to be. But I do want everyone, if you have any ideas of for the audience of how we can take a baby step and start pushing the initiative forward, I'd love for you to share your thoughts.
1: So I, I was just thinking of something that happened. I have a mm-hmm. friend in the city. He's a pretty big developer. And um, we were talking over dinner about something. And he was like, well, it's pretty hard for me to find people right now. I need to build an extra home or something. And he's mm-hmm. like... I was like, well, who's been applying? He's like, a lot of people from different colleges. He said, but I did have like three women apply. I'm like, did you call them in? He's like, well, it's a carpenter job. They have to lift things. They... He started making this list of everything. He, he basically told me the job description. Right. And I'm like, but they applied, didn't they? So did you read through their resumes? He's like, no, I didn't. And I was like, do me a favor. When you get home or when you have a chance, you're your assistant, go through their resumes. See if they check off the boxes. You saw a woman's name. And you didn't do the due diligence. He's like, yeah, you're right, bonsai, whatever. So he did it. He has hired two of those women, and he says they're the best carpenters he's had. They're they're, they're small-framed women. He calls them the the petite two, and they (laughs) carry this stuff. I'm, like, listening to them. But you got to understand, like, it's ingrained culturally some thoughts, right? When you think of a carpenter, you don't think of a woman. right? You know, I had to admit to myself I saw that bias. But if they check the boxes, give them a shot. You know what I mean? And I think that's what it comes down to. If this mentor checks my boxes, even they they don't look like me, they don't come from the same background, I met him in this weird place, maybe it's worth the idea to listen to them, right? And I think what we need to do is address our own biases. Mm -hmm. I think we put ourselves in boxes. And when we see people doing that in the most diplomatic way, you can address them have those conversations. I think we're seeing it happen in, on a societal level faster with documentaries coming out from Ava DuVray talking about you know, the C- Central Park Five and things like that and people posting on Facebook. All my white friends, please watch this documentary. It's hard to watch, but watch what happened and how these individuals were derailed and put into prison for something they didn't commit based on color. But we need to have that same attitude when it comes to career. Right, like okay, well, maybe I need to try someone different than speak up. I speak up a lot in my job. I think all my people. I'm, I'm glad I'm like uh, hired as a contractor with them because they probably <laughs> really want to buy me because <laughs> I'm always like, question. Um, I don't understand why, 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 you know. And I think you need in those rooms, you need to get more comfortable asking the challenging questions. Um, that's one thing you can do as an individual, and then work on your biases. We all have them. You just need to address them, the ones you have when it comes to your career. Um, so I wanted to articulate
2: a little bit on what I had said Um, so when I look at corporate diversity and inclusion the thing that comes to mind is um, as an applicant kind of like being given permission to be at a company or or to apply to a company Um, so to clarify what I mean diversity is a little buzzy I mean when I look at a corporate setting um Historically, we haven't seen a, like a lot of a, like action-based um, diversity and inclusion, and I think that you know what y'all have been saying is, is pretty great because it's very much active, um, and so when um, so yeah, that that's kind of like the lens that I have, right? Like it's it's not about it's about knowing that we have permission as as a person of color to be at a company or to be in, in different industries that we're not usually, uh, represented in. And so like, you know, when we talk about those, uh, workers who identify as women applying into that, that, um, job, it's kind of like, uh, very much, a I I would say the, the benefit of, of the work that we did to let people know, Hey, it's okay for X to be an in X uh, industry or job. Um, and so as a, a, a really good tool to help us move and progress, um, against um, bias is this thing called the seats model of identifying bias. Um, it's a really, really, really good tool that encourages people to, um, you know, go through. And then, um, it, what is it? Uh, so it is explaining how bias is uh, is good, right? So we have evolved from, you know, cave people um, to do shortcuts, and our brains are wired to, to do shortcuts. And so it's just about understanding what shortcuts are good and how to do shortcuts without putting... Uh, a bias that is negative, right? Um, otherwise, we'd be a mess without biases. Um, and uh, a tool that one of the companies I used to work with uh, used to kind of like combat uh, what you were describing uh, was to remove um, names as well as... Um, addresses. Addresses, definitely. Um, they
1: see where they live in the city and be like, I mean, oh, I don't know. <laughs>
2: um, they would remove names as well as uh, education levels, right? So like if I my resume has DePaul University. Um, as you filter your applicants in, take out the name and take out the education level, especially in, in, in development, I had a, a nonlinear path to, to where I'm at. And so, uh, if they saw the business degree, you know, like it's not too far fetched, but like who is to say that maybe an artist or, or someone who didn't go to school and there are a lot of people Soft in the industry, too. Mm-hmm, that don't have the formal education, um, to be a developer, but they could be great people for your org. So maybe, I don't know, write a little program to remove those from a a resume.
0: Cool. All right. And we are a little low on time, so I do want to give a final question. What advice do you have for the audience if they're seeking to get in tech or they're in tech and they want to advance? What advice or tips do you have for them? And we'll start with Will this time.
4: Oh, my gosh. I, yeah, I, I should probably be the last person uh, to answer this, but I think if, if you're not in tech today and you want to get in tech, just start the process. It's 2019. We have this thing called Google and, and begin kind of your search in a simple way. Um, if you're trying to develop skills, there's tons of great boot camps around the city. They're free services through. Um, city of Chicago has a great program going on right now. If you haven't heard about it, they're going to pay people for 11 weeks to learn how to code. They're going to have three cohorts. There's going to be about 100 people. So I would absolutely Google City of Chicago tech cohort there. The Urban League has a program. It's a two day program. It's also free. Um, it's primarily for folks who are unemployed. Um, and that program is a Scrum Master certification. And there are programs all across the city. So take advantage of the resources that are available to you that are free and near free. And then if you're looking to advance your career, I, I do not believe you can advance your career on skill alone. So you must also be a student. So in addition to mentorship, you have to have your own stewardship. And so um, uh, Jessica, she's around somewhere. We talk about the books that we read, and so I'm boring. I always read business books. So I'm trying to be a better businessman. I'm trying to be a better leader. Um, and I assume that there's something new or different uh, that I can discover about my own personality and weaknesses to be better for my team. And so, whether you're an individual contributor or you aspire to be a leader, I think you should study other great contributors and great leaders. All
3: right. Um, I think that um, I, I, you know, if you're looking to get in tech, um, one additional organization um, that we partner with is called IC Stars. I don't know if anybody is yeah. familiar mm-hmm. with ICSTARS. They're fantastic. They provide a, a, an amazing um, program and 98% um, um, placement. Um, Uh, success rate ratio, but um, I think it's those programs if you have not, if you're looking to get training, um, there are a lot of really good programs that are out there. Um, But if you're already in and um, you're looking to make a change, um, kind of have a a self- Accusation and and, an understanding of what you want to be able to do, Um, and then um, put together a plan, put together targets, company targets um, or position targets, and then there's enough opportunity or research you can do online to to narrow it down. Um, And then once you're able to do that, identify where somebody can help you, and ask. You know, again, if you don't ask, you don't get yes. So. Um, it's tap into your network or somebody else's to be able to go um, have somebody help you know, access into it. it. I will tell you, just submitting a resume onto a, a company portal and and applying to a job may not get you there. <laughs> no, actually, it probably won't because it's it's a it, they are black holes. But finding a recruiter, connecting with somebody that's already posted a job, um, that you can build a relationship that can be an advocate and has a relationship with organizations. As a key aspect,
4: okay, can I piggyback on Jane's comment real quick? Yeah. Um, and I was just going to say that I what I would also advise my mentees to do is to Google, uh, not Google, but search on LinkedIn the job title that you want and look at the people who have those jobs. There's an opportunity to either connect with them or just see their bio so that you know what you need to do, what you need to have to be prepared to do what they've done.
1: Not just copy and paste it now. Like, understand, (laughs) (laughs) you walk in there, memorize someone else's resume, and you go ahead.
2: (laughs) No, you're 100% (laughs) right. So, strictly from a development point of view, um, I uh, didn't have, uh, I didn't take some of the harder skill classes when I was an undergrad, and I definitely had like a more um, soft skill tool set. But hard skills are the easiest to learn. Um, And the cool thing about development is that they are so accessible. Like, you could Google them and learn for free. Um, You could go to, you know, uh, there's a lot of like online uh, courses that you could take for five bucks, ten bucks most most of the time. Um, So, from that point of view, uh, put some horse winders and just go at it because it's so accessible. Um, You just have to, you know, put in the work. And uh, again, from a development point of view, like, once you start learning the basics, you're drinking out of a fire hose. So, like again, horse blinders because you need to focus on one thing um, and just do that. There's um, if anybody's thinking about development, there's no excuse. It's just so accessible. Literally, professionals Google for for a living. So, like, don't feel intimidated. Oh don't
1: yeah, don't. Oh my god, don't get me started. Um, so, I would say okay. So, that I'm going to two two different parts. So, the first part is I would say know your why. You know, know why you want to get into tech. You're obviously over 18 at this point, people sitting in this room, one of us probably watching the podcast. So at some point you're like getting into adulthood. So kind of like have an idea of why you're doing it, right? Learn the basics, put in the work, um, and have a good like one go-to that you can do hands down, right? Understand the market. Right. This is the part they didn't tell us in computer school, right? I should have researched what job will be available in four years. Like, look and see where technology is going. And then say, do I still want to be doing this? Do I still want to? Because by the time you get your certification, you get out of school. I came out of school when it was dry. Like, it was like 2000, the market's crashing. There's not going to be zeros on something, 1999, 2000. Like, Everything was supposed to explode. Computers were not supposed to exist anymore. So there was like unemployment. So I went right into grad school, right, and finally got a job. But um, So understand that. Do your due diligence. Do your research. Come to things like this. Go online. Ask questions, right, um, before you jump in because it, it is it is a commitment. Even if it's free, it's your time. It's going to cost you something. The question is, are you willing to put in the cost? And then put your profile together, you know, get help on your resume, check your spellings, all that. You know, all those things add up. Um, and then also volunteer. I'm a big proponent on that. Like all these organizations that you mentioned, I know all of them. They're always looking for people to kind of help on a workshop. They always need, you know, Blue 1647 is another great one on the meals team at Lucuna. You know, they're always looking for people to come alongside them to help them do what they're doing. Why not? It's an excuse for you to network while you're getting, you're sharpening your skills. And then, like I said, the biggest thing is just just understand where you want to see yourself. One of my mentors gave me the best advice. I have daily goals, I have monthly goals, I have five-year goals, I have 10-year goals, and I have my retirement goal. My plan for my retirement is already set. I know what I want to do when I retire, right? It might change when I get there, but I have a plan. And so if you wake up without goals, you will not get where you're going. Everything that comes by you is going to be a distraction. you know. So make sure you are clear on your goals first, then begin to pursue your career in tech, because it could go anywhere. It's growing so fast, so quickly. Don't invest yourself in doing something. You turn around in and then... It's like, what was that? It's like Vine. It's gone, right? (laughs) Your goal is to work at Vine. You turn around and Vine is goodbye. Probably not the best career, you know what I mean? Um, So think about those things. Things are coming and going so quickly. Mm -hmm. Uber and Lyft weren't even thought of. Now Mm -hmm. Uber is ubiquitous of catching a cab. It's a whole old verb and noun on its own. When we grew up, there's no Uber, right? So think about how quickly things are moving and where you want to go, and what soft, hard, and soft skills you can start working on now. Um, it's about you, you know. It's about you as an individual. These careers, these jobs are great, but when you go home, it's about you, right? So don't ever forget that. Um, yeah.
2: Okay, Add one last thing. Go that ahead. was just really good. Um, and for that same reason, sometimes uh, like innovators are not innovators because everybody sees like the vision. Yeah. So, like yeah it's just that. If you see the vision and people are not agreeing with you or or if other people are not talking about it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't have
4: value. So,
1: I was talking like, to you earlier. Oh, was it Jane? I think it was Jane. I was like, I know I was ahead of, my, ahead of my time when I said I wanted to build an app for mental health after all the trauma I saw and experienced and saw women like five years ago. Look at where we are now with mental health. People are being praised. What Some rapper took some time off for being a... Take a took a year off of having mental health is getting all this press. Oh, good for you, brother. I, can't, I can remember talking to my mom saying, I want to go see a psychologist. She's just like, oh, girl, baby girl, in our family, we pray and we fast. We don't go, we don't lay on a couch, we don't talk to people. But now mental health is, we're, we're making some movement, right? right? So even if you're ahead of your time, and I might never build the app, I might change Gorgeous within and rename it tomorrow, but I think you have to go down the path you believe in, and that'll open doors to get you to the next place. You know what I mean? Start opening those doors and walking down that path, and don't be afraid to, this is not for me anymore, and pivot. Pivoting is not quitting, you're just changing your mind, and that's totally fine. Right. And I think that's a good note to end on.
0: Thanks for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn under Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please go subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening right now. And if you have a few extra minutes, please make sure to leave a five-star review too. It would help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.